Okay. So, uh, we are, today's daf is Tevav, uh, 86A. Um, let's, um, let's see where we want to begin. We're somewhat in the middle. Um, let's start um, at six lines from the bottom. Omar Revhuna Brader of Yeshua. So our our question it's an Ella, right? Yeah, that's an Ella. Mm-hmm. Ella Omar Afuna Brady Yeshua. Um our our question is, and uh, we're gonna spend the first half of today sorting through it. Uh, it shouldn't take us very long. But um uh, there's a case where the woman forbids what she works uh to her husband. And uh that was the case of the Mishnah. She forbids what her hands make. Um, she says, She'ene osa alpicha. She'ani, or she'ani, we've had that, uh, what I do should be forbidden to your mouth. That's, that's what she's, she's normally she, uh, she works. Every wife has to do certain work. Um, and uh, he's not allowed to benefit. Uh, she swears that uh, what I do will be forbidden to you uh, to benefit from. And so the question was, does he need to bother to nullify that? Now, there are three issues. First, it's true that she has no right to forbid uh, what she does to her husband because she's obligated to do certain things uh, for him. Uh, so, uh, therefore, the first view was that Revi Kiva said, uh, we're going the Mishnah on Pehe on, on 85a, he says, no need to nullify. Uh, I'm sorry, the first view is, uh, the first view is the Tanakama, no need to nullify, because uh, she's, she can't forbid her wages to him, whereas Revi Kiva said, no, maybe she'll make more than she's obligated to give him. She's obligated to give to work for her husband because she draws an allowance. But if she were to have, let's say, she had a very good job and she could make more money than uh, the household provides her, she could she could stipulate that she keeps the extra. So she's allowed to forbid the extra to her husband. He better nullify that in case she she makes good big bucks one day. That's Revi Kiva's view. Rav Yochanan Benuri says, well, we're not so much worried that she's going to make big bucks, uh, more than she takes. Women have a knack for spending more than they, I shouldn't say that, I'll get in trouble. I uh, certainly will. But uh, even if she's uh, uh, not making uh, big bucks, or we're not concerned, she has no plans to make big bucks. But uh, when he divorces her, and of course he may want to remarry his ex, uh, so when he goes to remarry his ex, the problem is then it would be forbidden to him. He can put right now when she swears she's not going to work for him, she has no business doing so. But once she gets divorced, she could forbid whatever she, uh, uh, whatever money she makes, she could make a vow to forbid it to him. And so therefore to prevent that in the future, it's a good idea for him to be proactive. So that was the case of the Mishnah. Now, our question was, what exactly did she say? How did she seek to prevent what she's going to make to him? She didn't make it yet. And if you learn it's the, what she's going to make one day when she gets a good job, that's even more in the future. 
And if you learn that it's what's going to happen after she gets divorced, that's even way in the future. That's, those are all future deals. And uh, the real question we have now is that things that aren't here now, you don't have control over. You can't make a vow. It's one thing if, you, uh, if she cooked tonight's supper and she said, I forbid you to benefit from this supper. All right, we get that. But when I'm going to work next week, I'm going to forbid you to benefit from those wages? How, do, how did she even have the right? How would such a vow that she made work? So that's really what we're going to grapple with, the mechanics of her vow. What exactly did she say in a way that would be effective that he needs to nullify it? We're implying that her vow is a good vow, but he revokes it. But how can you possibly make a vow about something that's totally in the future that isn't here yet? How, and how would that vow be binding? So we're looking for that formula that she could actually say something in a way that would be a problem, and then if, if he's smart, he'll nullify it. So that's, that's, what, that's, the, that's really what we're going to try to find today, the analogy for her formula. So Ella Omerev Hunabrede of Yeshua. So he says, well, it's true that for her to forbid the wages that she'll make next week or forbid after she gets divorced, those are things that are way in the future that we have no control over. But her hands are here now. She has her hands in front of her. She can say, Yakdishu Yodai Lo Sehem. If, uh, now, she's not actually donating to Hegdish, but whatever you can donate to Hegdish, you can forbid as well. Actually, when you donate to Hegdish, you're making it forbidden to other people. You're making it Kaddish, you're making it holy. So she could say, look at her hands and say, these hands that are here now, whatever they make will be forbidden uh, to, uh, to him. Uh, so hi, Isnu Ba'olam, and the hands are here. And so that's how she made a vow. Whatever comes out of these hands are forbidden to you. And so the Gemara says, And if she says such a thing, would it be forbidden? She's already obligated these hands. These hands are called for. When she gets married, she says, I'm putting these hands to work. She's agreeing that these hands are going to work for the house. The answer is, the Amra she swears, when you dump me, then I'm not giving you anything from these hands. That's what she's doing. So the Morris says, Hashta lo Megarsha. She's not divorced yet. Uh, and And so how is it going to help to say that when you dump me, that what these hands make will be forbidden to you? So that's exactly the puzzle that we're in right now that we stopped in the middle of as we turn to today's page. Omar Reb Ila. Now this is funny. His name is Reb Ila, and his first word he's going to use is Ila. Um, it's not a coincidence. Often you find this in the Gemara that when somebody makes it famous and gets uh, mentioned in the Gemara, he, uh, therefore they called him by his teaching. You were the Ila man. We'll call you Reb Ila. Uh, there are a few places like that that the, uh, somebody... Is if you ever make it into the Gemara, then uh, that's you'll be famous by what the, the teaching that you said. That we sometimes they you needed another name other than your Jewish name. They would call somebody by the city they were from. Uh, you know, but if uh, uh, but the, uh, sometimes if a person had a particular teaching, so what did Reb Ila teach? He taught the Ila teaching. If of Umay Ilu. Um, 
And we're going to need an if here because we need to forbid something in the future and kind of understand how it works. So what are the mechanics here? So the Gemara is going to play with the formula a little bit. It's going to tweak the formula of the vow that she makes to understand how it works. And he said the following. If somebody would say to his buddy, I'm selling you my field right now. I'm selling you a field. I'm the seller. But uh, that's just because I need the money. I'd actually like to buy it back. Uh, and uh, 10 years from now, uh, well, later I'm going to buy it back. So, and when I buy it back, when I buy it back from you, I am going to make it kadosh. I'm going to donate it to the Beis HaMikdash. I wish I could do that now. I need the cash, so now I'm going to sell it to you, but later on I'm going to buy it back from you, and then I'm going to donate it. So uh, she's saying over here, these hands, they may work for you now, but later on they won't work for you when I'm, I'm brave enough to get divorced, and then these hands will not work for you, and uh, I will forbid my labor. To, uh, I'm never going to work for you again after that. So that's kind of how, how we want it to work over here is that she's saying that uh, it's true right now these hands um, I, I don't, uh, are not free not to work for you, but later on when I get my freedom, when the, something happens, when I get, she gets divorced, then the hands will be forbidden. Just like over there where the guy says, this field right now I'm selling to you, but after I buy it back, then, uh, then it's going to be cut. So the Morris says, uh, um, uh, would, would it not, wouldn't that work? So, he says, how do you compare that to our case? When I sell you a field, right now I own it. And so right now, if I wanted to donate it right now, I could. Instead, I'm taking the cash from you. But right now, the, I own the field. So I can say, if I ever own this field again the way I do right now, it's going to Hegdish. So therefore, I can donate it later because I own it now. Couldn't a woman donate, uh, can she forbid the work of her hands now? In other words, right now the woman doesn't own uh, her labor. She's obligated to give that to her household. She's spending more money than she brings in, and she's obligated to do a certain minimum amount of work to knit or to make a certain amount of clothing. So how do we compare this to somebody that owns a field now that's selling it and saying, after I buy it back, I'm going to donate it, and so uh, therefore I have the power to make it kaddish. Here, she doesn't own her labor right now, so it's not a very good comparison. So Lamar said, you're right. Uh, hello, dummy. It's not a perfect comparison, so let's tweak our, 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 um, our comparison. A person says to their buddy, This field that I'm selling you, when I buy it back from you, uh, then, uh, you're right, right, I sold it to you already. Right now, I don't own the field. And since I don't own the field, I couldn't donate it right now. But I plan on buying it back, and you, you'll agree to sell it to me if, if you pay somebody enough that you'll be able to buy it back. And so this field that I sold to you already, when I buy it back, uh, then I'll donate it. So here also, these, these hands, I agreed to work for you, I got married to you, uh, but when I get divorced and when I buy my freedom back, then I am going to 
not work for you anymore. I'm never going to, you'll never be allowed to benefit from me forever. Yeah. The distinction over here is that all of a sudden, uh-huh. something in past tense. Right, right. I already sold it. Right, so the Gemara says, me, uh, yeah, that's, that's correct. So, Masile Repapa, me dummy. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. That's the difference in the two examples, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, she, she, just like he sold the field, she sold her, her work of her hair. Before she was married, she didn't have to work for him. So she's saying, it's true, right now I got to work for you. But there'll be a time when I won't have to work for you, and then I'm going to donate, I'm not going to forbid my hands to you. So here also, the, uh, so, um, it's already out of his possession. Yeah. And so. yet he's able to you know, make a condition on it. Right. So, so, so he can, controls that kind of, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. So, Masi Lera Papa, me dummy. How do you compare it? Gabi's me nepsika la milsa. Over there, by the, um, the sale of the. Um, of the the um, the land, it's a um, the um, the uh, the person has um, yeah the um, the the field you no longer own. So how would you donate the field if you no longer own it? Uh, it's really totally no longer in your possession. So the, um, the, the, the case of the, once you sold the field, how would you be able to donate something that you don't own? Whereas the woman, at least, uh, she's still in possession of her hands. So it, it's, the, now it's a, the comparison, we need a comparison of two cases that are exact to explain the, uh, how it works or it doesn't work. Um, so, uh, so would his question have been, me, Kutcha, would she be able to do it? Masir Papa, me, dummy, there's a big difference. Gabi's vina, psika, milsayu. She totally gave up the, uh, the, you gave up the field, and you're saying, when I buy it back, I'll donate it. Gabi, isha, me, paska, milsa. Ella, lo, dummy, ella. So, we, again, we, we know that there is a comparison to the case of the woman to the case of the field, and we, we haven't found an exact comparison yet. So Lamar is going to try one more, uh, one more example until we get to the one that we're going to stick with. The case is you didn't sell the field. What happened is you used the field as collateral. You borrowed money. Now, the, when you use a field as collateral, it's actually a very good thing. Not only is it collateral, it makes the payments on the debt. Because you say, here, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, borrow $100,000, and uh, every year, I'm going to give you my field, and you'll use the fruits of the field until as collateral for the debt. And then once you've harvested <coughs> enough crops that will pay for the debt, then I get the field back. So, this field, when I've given it to you as collateral, and when I buy it back from you, I'm going to donate it. Wouldn't it? Uh, wouldn't it uh, so she's saying, I've given my labor to you, uh, but I really own my hands. And as soon as I'm no longer obligated to work for you, uh, get a better job, and I can make more money, then I won't have to give it all to you. Will, then I'll have the right to forbid it to you. So that's how we want to uh, connect the two cases. But wait a second. 
In that case of the field, it's collateral. If you pay back the loan, you can get it back. So in theory, you can donate what's in the field because it's really up to you. Does, is the woman able to get a divorce? I mean, it's not, uh, it, she can't, uh, she needs him to decide to divorce her. She really can't say, well, after I get divorced, then I'm going to forbid it to you. How does she know she's going to get divorced? Not in her control. Not in her control. Now, she can make life pretty miserable for him, but that's not, that's not called, uh, um, that's still not called that she still needs him to do it. So the more I said, hi, lo, damia. So basically, we're going around and around and around. We've had three attempts to try to come up with a comparison of a sale of a field to the sale of the labor. Again, if a person could forbid the fruits of their field, uh, we're comparing that to the fruits, that, the, the profit that the woman will bring in with her hands by making stuff, and we're trying to come up with a perfect comparison. So the more I said, hi, lo, damia, el, omer, chavero. Lamar said, you're right, let's compare it to the following. This field, um, that I've sold to you for 10 years, when I buy it back from you, uh, I'll donate it. Would it not... That he sold it or that he... Collateralized. He collateralized it to you. And when I buy, when I redeem it, uh, I'll donate it. So here also... The, I've um, uh, this these hands that I've uh, given to you as collateral, so to speak. Uh, but when I start making more money, uh, then I will no longer work for you. So wouldn't she be able to um, uh, donate them? So Rashi me dummy. But still, there's a big difference. Hasam kites. There's uh, there's an end that after ten years you're going to get it back. No matter what, so you know, you know definitely that it's in your power to uh, donate what's in your field. Isha mi isli kitsusa. The woman doesn't have. We don't know when she's getting divorced. There's no planning for that. So we are back to the drawing board, and we're going to have to go to Anella. We were trying to come up with a perfect analogy. So again, we started off with this case in the Mishnah where the woman forbids future labor to the husband, and we said he better revoke it because one day that's going to be problematic for him. And our question was, how did she have the power to do that? Where do we find in other areas of halacha that a person could forbid something that's not here yet? And so we made at least four attempts to come up with the perfect analogy, and uh, we didn't find it. So we're going to, as we're going to turn the page, not yet, we're going to try all over again. I want to read the whole page again because um, I think I lost the flow a little bit just to show you how it went. But basically, Ahmed Aleph was just looking for a t- just a good comparison of a regular real estate case. Uh, typically, you can donate, uh, if you were comparing the woman to a, a land or a tree that a person has that produces fruits, uh, the woman's, uh, the wife produces um, um, clothing with her hands and she makes money and that money goes to the household. And the question was, does she have the power to forbid the profits to come out of what she will make in the future? What she makes right now, she's got to give to him. But the question is, either the extra or what comes after divorce, does she have the power to forbid it? 
So let's uh, let's read it again without all my starts and stops. Um, let's start from the last line on the previous page. And how do you know that she has the ability to make such a commitment to forbid future labor? So Om Revila, Revila said, I'll find you a perfect analogy. He said, If a person would say to their buddy, This field that I will sell to you, and I'll buy it back, I'll donate it right away to Hashem if I ever manage to buy it back, wouldn't it work? So here also, she's saying, if I ever manage to get my freedom from you and get divorced, then I'm going to donate it. I'm not, I'm not going to forbid it to you to benefit. Again, the don't, the, if, the, if you can give it to Hegdish, you can make it forbidden to him like Hegdish. That's always been our analogy. If you can kodesh it, if you can sanctify it, then she can make a konam, she can make a vow to forbid it to him. So just like you can swear and promise to donate your field after you buy it back, she can swear and promise to forbid the labor of her hands after she buys it back, she gets her freedom. When I say this field that I will sell you, you know what? That's because I own the field. Could the woman donate what she makes right now? She doesn't own it right now. Right now, she's married already. Hello, lo dummy, you're right. Ella, we need to tweak the case. It's got to be in the past. I did own it, but I sold it to you already, and then when I'll buy it in the future, Takdish. Mikotcha, would it not be holy here also? She said, I already got, uh, got agreed to accept your marriage proposal, and that meant that I'm going to work for you. But should I get my freedom in the future, would I, I promise I'm, I'm going to forbid the labor of my hands to you. By the case of the selling of the, of the land, it's, it's already fully no longer in his possession. Uh, is, it all, is, it, is it so clear the, um, uh, the woman, she still has her hands? And also, she's, uh, it's, there's no time limit about when she would get divorced. This must be, if you want to compare this, this land that I owe now, uh, when I, I buy it back, uh, when I redeem it, I'll, I'll donate it. Wouldn't it not work? So the case of the field, you, you know you can buy it back. The woman doesn't have an option. She said, well, the field, if you make a collateral where it's limited for 10 years, when I buy it back, I'll donate it. There, you know, at 10 years, eventually you'll get it back. So uh, we really gave up at this point. The more really tried hard. We were, really, we were sure that uh, Rabila said there's got to be a perfect case out there that'll show us how this would work. And uh, we just, uh, uh, we're giving up now. Ella, let's turn the page. Amar Avashi, You're right. In a finance case, it would never work. We're never going to allow you to do a future that you don't own, that you're not going to get back, that you don't know when or how. But vows are different. The kiddush is the goof dummy. When you make a vow, it's as if you, uh, the, uh, the item itself becomes holy right away. Um, sometimes when you uh, donate something, you're donating a value, and sometimes the item itself becomes changed. 
when you make a vow, the, uh, the person themselves becomes, uh, the vow, it, it takes over the person. Uh, where do you find such a concept? Kedurava, Dhamma that there are certain areas of halacha where you can, something happens and the halacha takes over. First one is hegdish. When you donate something to hegdish, even though you didn't have full ownership, it, once you give it away, it becomes forbidden to everybody. Chametz, if you had bread that you owned and then it becomes Pesach, you no longer own it. Or Rishivkor, or if you have a, a servant and then he's freed, they take off the liens. So here also, even though she's obligated to work for the husband, when you do hegdish, hegdish can overrule things. And so our question was, uh, how, does, how does she able to donate labor? Uh, doesn't she, right now, she's obligated to work for him. The answer is, when you, when you make such a vow, that, that could uh, overrule pre-existing obligations. So the Gemara says, if that's true, so why do we have to worry about later when she's divorced? It's, it's changing it now. So the Gemara says, yeah, you're right. But we're saying that really right now she could give it to Hegdish. And not only that, maybe she'll get divorced and then it'll, it'll be fully in her hands. Uh, so uh, that's the bottom line over here. Let's take a look at a run. Um, let's see the top line. Uh, let's see if that helps us. Um, yeah, top line on the round on the right. I, I was tempted to teach this all in about a minute or two. I, sometimes you go longer, it gets more confusing. But, but again, really, we're just trying to understand the mechanics over here of her vow. And what we're saying is, is that it's really not a future thing. It's really about right now. When you have a vow, it's something that's on you right now. Just like when you would, it works like hektish, uh, when you donate something to the Beis HaMikdosh, that it has what's called Kedushis HaGuftami. Sharehen Kedushis HaMizbeach. We're on the run too. It's just like when you donate to Kiheke de Taktish Mizbeach. Just like if you give something to the altar, a korban to be offered, ain't no pidin, you can't redeem it. Kak ain't pidin lekonam. Shehei muter lemish also love. Once something's forbidden to a person, it stays forbidden. And since it's such a strong uh, forbiddenness, it will override the fact that she's already obligated to do her work for the husband. And therefore, it'll work. Even though usually you can't deal in futures. Since her hands are here, and she could donate them by using the konim. That will override uh, the the whole problem we had was that she doesn't own her labor. She's married. She promised to work for the husband. So how can she dedicate the the labor of her hands and say it's going to be forbidden to him? She doesn't own it. And so we said, well, one day she'll, she might own it. Or, well, she'll earn more money and maybe that. But the way we're saying it now is even right now, uh, the fa- once she donates it, once she uses that word konum, it takes it away from the husband. Uh, and so therefore he better revoke it because the, the power of, of making something a konum is like go- donating to Hektish and Hektish can override anything. 
And so that's really the ultimate answer is that, that the way vows work, they are, they are more powerful than, uh, than doing business. Okay, new mission. Nidro ishta v'savish nidro bito. Your wife swears, takes on an oath, and you, you, your daughter has the same voice. Sometimes the daughters sound like the wife, and you thought it was your daughter. Or Nidru Bito, or your daughter made a vow, and you thought your wife made the vow. Nidru Benazir, and she decided to be a Nazir, and you thought that she was donating a Corbin. Or Nidru Bekorbin, or they donated a Corbin. We mentioned that sometimes people became a Nazir just to bring Nazir Korbanos. That was what attracted them. Some people do it because they want long hair. Or some people do it because they want the baldy after the long hair. They want to do the shave all the hair. And then some people, um, uh, there was a case of that famous Nazar who was real handsome, and all the women were chasing after him. And he said, I'm going to be a Nazar, so this way I'm going to cut it all off. Uh, that's the, I don't know why he needed to become a Nazar to cut it all off, but that was the case, right? That was the Nedra uh, Mitenim. Um, Let's say she said no more figs, and he thought she said no more grapes. Nedra grapes, or Savish Nedra So basically, the problem here was that when he heard the vow, he got the story wrong. And so the vow that he nullified he, he was the wrong thing. He nullified the daughter, and he was supposed to nullify the wife. For he nullified the wife's vow, and he was supposed to nullify the daughter's vow. He nullified the fig vow, and he was supposed to nullify the grape vow. So normally the rule is that the clock starts ticking, that if, the, if it becomes dark after he heard about it, he can no longer go ahead and fix it. So here we're saying that if he nullified it by mistake and he never really heard what the exact vow was, so he still gets the opportunity to revoke. Uh, so uh, that's the, uh, and the, the revoking that he did by mistake didn't work. Two parts. One is that the revoking didn't work. And two is when he figures out the mistake, he'll get a new opportunity to revoke it correctly. Those are the two teachings of the Mishnah. And the question is, how did the Mishnah know it? So, so maybe it means to say that he has to specifically revoke her vow. Why can't he revoke a vow? Somebody in the house said, no more figs. I've, who cares if he said the daughter? Why does it have to be specific to her? Whatever he's undoing whatever he heard. Right. So how do we know it has to be specific to the person? We'll have to find out tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody.